We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are pushing forward to week five of this 2022 NFL season. And for the two and two Baltimore Ravens, that means an 820 primetime under the lights matchup against the two and two Cincinnati Bengals. AFC North divisional play officially begins this Sunday night for the Ravens and company. And it should be a good one inside the bank. It's going to be black on black, by the way, for those of you uniform nerds out there under John Harbaugh all time. This team is 14 and two when they're wearing those threads. So for whatever that's worth, keep that in mind going into Sunday night. Welcome into the Ravens vault. I'm Bobby Trossett alongside my co-host and partner, Sarah Ellison. And Sarah, we got a heavy hitter coming on this one today, this episode. And I think specifically when you look at Ravens Nation and the ones that are on Twitter, I think there may be some conflict here, but nonetheless, we wanted to bring on Pro Football Talks Mike Florio because of his knowledge for the game, his plugged in status when it comes to the National Football League. And yeah, he he does throw his opinions out there about this team as well. So I think all three of those things combined with uh, his profile and his brand were too good to pass up. Oh, well, and it's it just matches up because this game is on uh, NBC Sunday Night Football and he's NBC Pro Football Talk and he's always there for pregame and uh, halftime, all that kind of stuff. So it seemed like a, a good person to have on. And yeah, yeah, he's he's had his Twitter back and forth with Ravens fans before, which I asked about uh and he got super passionate so i'm excited for uh everybody to hear this one yeah you asked about that and i made sure to ask about the june twitter storm that chris sims created uh when he had a whole lot to say about lamar jackson's decision to skip out on the voluntary otas and made some comparisons to the early parts of tom brady's career in new england and the fact that he would never never miss those sessions in Foxborough. Now, what became really entertaining about this area, you might remember, is when Lamar Jackson saw that tweet of the video that I put up of Chris and Mike talking about this exact concept, and he clapped back, and he clapped back in a big way, and it was national news for 24 hours. I just wanted to know, you know, hey, Mike, can you peel back the curtain a little bit? So that's coming up in a few minutes as well. Right. I think it's going to be some good stuff. So let's go ahead and jump in. This is Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk. 
So, Mike, as you know, you've probably seen this stat floating around the Internet. The Ravens have trailed for just 14 total seconds this season, yet they sit two and two. So we got to ask you, what do you make of this team through four weeks of football? Well, this isn't the Ravens team that any of us is used to seeing. So heavily reliant upon offense, a running game so heavily reliant upon the quarterback, a defense that can't be trusted to hold a lead. There have been four games this year where teams have come back from 17 or more points down to win or tie. Two of those teams have been playing against the Ravens to erase those 17-point or more deficits. So the Ravens are responsible for half of the games so far this year where teams have blown 17-point or more leads. The defense just can't be trusted. And with all the talk about that decision to go for it on fourth and goal last week, 20-20, to late in the fourth quarter, ultimately, John Harbaugh didn't trust his defense. You kick the field goal, you don't trust your defense to keep the Bills from scoring a touchdown. And that made it the right decision. I don't know that I like the play call or the execution, but it made it the right decision to go for it because he just doesn't trust his defense, nor should he at this point trust his defense. And so, Mike, kind of looking from the outside in, what you just said, you're right. We're, I mean, following the Ravens for so long, it's been defense and, and running attack. It almost feels like there's a little bit right now of a cr- identity crisis going on. I mean, from the outside looking in, how would you describe the Ravens' identity? Well, we, we did this yesterday on PFT Live. We did word association with a handful of teams. And for the Ravens, I went way back to 1984, which is probably before the time of most of the people listening to this. But the catchphrase of the year was, where's the beef from the old Wendy's commercial. And I look at the Ravens and I say, where is it defensively? And where is it in the running game other than Lamar Jackson? Where's that big, bad Ravens team we're used to, to seeing? And that's the problem. It can't all be Lamar Jackson but it currently is. And even though the team is two and two, there's so much talk about Lamar Jackson and this bet that he's placed on himself. I mean, really, what choice do the Ravens have at this point but to give the guy everything he wants? He's all they have. And until they get the pieces around him to allow things to operate without it being so focused on him, it's going to be a tough season. They should be very glad to be two and two. And I think John Harbaugh can coach them into some better situations as the season unfolds. And I think that begins on Sunday night against the Bengals. But, yeah, this is just not the Ravens we're accustomed to. And, and we, we develop biases and stereotypes based on uniforms. You know, last year it was difficult to look at the Bengals' uniform and think they're good. This year it's hard to look at the Jaguars' uniform and think they're good. It's hard to look at the Ravens uniform and think they're anything other than a team that's going to get off the bus and kick the crap out of you and stifle you offensively and run the ball down your throat when it wants to, when it needs to, when it has to. And and that's just the reality that we're dealing with right now. And Mike, I guess this is probably just the comparison game that we in the media tend to play before a, you know, a national primetime game that, of course, you're going to be working on Sunday. But uh, when you look at Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow and what they've done for their respective franchises – so far through the early parts of their careers. Who are you starting with a franchise with tomorrow if you had the choice? If I'm starting a franchise tomorrow and I'm picking between the two guys right now, I'm taking Joe Burrow just because I'm concerned about the wear and tear on Lamar Jackson. And is there going to be a point in the next five years or so where he becomes like Cam Newton, who looks like the same guy, but doesn't play like the same guy because of the accumulation of getting banged up over the years. So that would make me err on the side of Joe Burrow who has taken a beating himself, but doesn't rely upon that mobility and agility 
to move the chains. He just needs to be able to stand in the pocket and get rid of the football. So I would go with Burrow if I'm starting a franchise. But right now, based on how they're playing at this moment, I would go with Lamar Jackson. So, Mike, speaking of of Lamar, I'm I know you know you you. Ravens fans sometimes get upset with you, definitely when you talked this offseason about, you know, the whole contract thing. And, you know, you really wanted Lamar to have an agent, right? Really wanted to have an agent. And some fans just couldn't understand why you wanted that so badly. And some would be like, is it just because he doesn't get inside scoops, which is where he usually gets it from agents and all of that kind of stuff? What would you say to those types of fans that feel that way? Well, I would say things that I can't say on this show, I assume. (laughs) Unless you're willing to bleep me out because it's a load of crap. And I've wanted what's best for Lamar from day one. And I'm not advocating on behalf of any specific agent. And trust me, look around. I trust people who are astute enough to see what we do and what other quote unquote insiders do. My business does not rely upon agents giving me a five minute heads up before the formal announcement is issued that somebody is signing with a team. That's Schefter, that's Rappaport, that's all of the people who are hustling to tell us what's going to happen five minutes before it does. They're the ones beholden to the agents. I'm beholden to the truth. And the truth is, if Lamar Jackson had an agent, he'd be under contract right now. If Lamar Jackson had an agent, he would get the best offer from the Ravens on the table, and then he would go to Lamar and say, Here's why it's in your best interest to take it. And if Lamar's position was, I don't care, I want a fully guaranteed contract, then the agent would say to Lamar, fine, if you want that, Lamar, you're going to have to do what Deshaun Watson did and say, I want out of Baltimore. I want to go somewhere else. I want to be traded. And then we set up a contest for your services and we play those teams against themselves and hope that one of them says, hey, I'll give you a fully guaranteed contract if you'll come play for me, because that's exactly what happened with the Browns. And the only other way he's getting a fully guaranteed contract is play out this year, play out next year under the franchise tag, play out the following year under the franchise tag, hope that three years from now, three seasons from now, the rest of this one and two more, he's healthy enough and effective enough to get whatever he wants on the open market and that someone then when he's on the open market will give him a fully guaranteed contract. You need someone to lay that out. Someone who knows the nuances of the business, how to negotiate the contracts, how to communicate with the team. If I was 25 years old and I was a football player, I wouldn't know where to begin when the time came to negotiate my own contract. And I fear that guys like Lamar Jackson, Richard Sherman, Russell Okung, they lose sight of the fact that even though they hate writing that check, every year to the agent. I think that's what it comes down to. They don't want to write that check for 1%, 2%, 3%. You get a bigger pie that you get 97% of versus a smaller pie with 100%. Or you put yourself in a position where you are at ongoing risk of a serious injury or ineffectiveness that keeps you from ever getting the deal you could have gotten if you had taken whatever the Ravens were willing to do. So I apologize that the answer was lengthy, but I appreciate the opportunity to explain where I'm coming from And I'm right. And if fans want to be upset about it, I really don't care. I am 100% right in everything I just said. Let me tell you, Mike, I'm I'm here. I know Sarah's here for this, too. We are both here for a good banter back and forth between you and the Ravens Fox Nation on Twitter. But not to get too into the weeds here, but if you can remember back in June, uh, and I'm a daily listener of the show, and and I often listen to when you guys are obviously talking about the Baltimore Ravens. And when Chris 
criticized Lamar for skipping out on those, the first couple sessions of OTAs and compared it to how Tom Brady never would have missed that opportunity back in, in his days, his early days in New England. I actually shared that clip on Twitter, which, which ultimately was quote tweeted by Lamar himself. And I would imagine that created, wreaked a little bit of havoc for Chris. Can you peel back the curtain what that day was like on the show? Chris was fine with that. Chris stands by what he says. Chris has strong opinions. He's not afraid to share them. In the early stages of Tom Brady's career, he was locked in. He was there. He's learning the offense. He's with his teammates. He's getting to where he needs to be. And I know Lamar was working out on his own and working on his mechanics on his own. There's enough time in the offseason to do both. There are moments where you can work on your mechanics. There's moments when you're there with your teammates on the practice field, establishing rapport, getting to know the younger receivers. You're trying to move forward without Hollywood Brown. And for some reason, Lamar acted surprised when he got traded as if he didn't know Hollywood Brown wanted out. Okay, Brown's out. Let's get the other guys ready to go. We were equally critical of Aaron Rodgers, who is getting $50 million plus per year from the Packers. They have a revamped receiving core, and he doesn't show up for off-season workouts. And then he gets there at training camp, he wonders why these guys are struggling. Well, they're in awe of you because you weren't around for them to get comfortable with you, get to know you, get to start working with you. That's what it's about. We're not asking for a whole lot from these guys to just show up, be there, be around. I know it's quote-unquote voluntary, but when you're getting like $50 million a year or if you want $50 million a year like Lamar, these are little things you do to get yourself in the best possible position to be effective. And I think fans get all twisted up in this because on one hand, it's like, don't criticize our guy. But then, you know what, if they take a step back, they look at it and say, you know, the team maybe would be better if he was here. So I, I, I know there's a lot, of, a lot of confusion that fans can try to parcel out and we really want to support Lamar and we're behind Lamar. But yeah, it kind of would be nice if Lamar chose to be here and get ready to play the season with a receiving core that doesn't have Hollywood Brown. Hey, Mike, taking the, the fans out of it, do you feel like, given what we've seen from Lamar, so, you know, holding out for a contract, I mean, many said that he should, you know, be getting signed back when Josh Allen did. You know, they came in together. But if he had done that, he would have settled for a lot less money. Like, just by simply waiting, the price tag keeps going up. And then also with him not, you know, focusing on on the not going to OTAs and focusing on, turning on his own, he did come back a better passer. He's He's been – he's taken it to another level, and it's actually the passing game that's outperformed the running game. So does that at all sway you at all that, you know what, maybe his approach is working for him so far? He still could have done both and be even better than he is now if he'd have been there with the offseason program and working out in his quote-unquote spare time with a quarterback coach. And look, here's the thing about Josh Allen, because I said at the time when Josh Allen got his deal – and I was able to get the full details and understand how it worked and where it was favorable and where it was. And I said, Lamar should have taken that contract into Eric DaCosta and said, let's just cross out Buffalo Bills and put in Baltimore Ravens. Let's cross out Josh Allen and put in Lamar Jackson. And here's the thing. Yeah, he's putting himself in position to get a better deal. But you know what? For the last year and a half, he hasn't gotten that money. That's the one thing we lose sight of when we talk about this. Oh, well, he's going to get a better deal now. But Josh Allen's had his deal for a year and a half. He's getting that money. It's in the bank. It's never going away. The best money in any contract is the money that you have in your bank account. And he is still in that rookie contract mode. And the problem is, and there's no way to quantify this, the problem is with each additional game. And I thought it was funny that people are already saying, oh, he's, he made a bet on himself and he's winning. And we love it when guys bet on himse uh, themselves because it's not our money. 
He's still got 13 more regular season games this year and playoffs this year and 17 games next year and playoffs next year and 17 games the year after that. He's got a long way to go to cash in on this bet that he seems to be making along the same lines of Kirk Cousins. And the reason Kirk Cousins did what he did with Washington when he played out two years of the franchise tag and then became a free agent, they never came close to offering him anything that was reasonable and fair the way that you value these contracts, the way you look at the franchise tag, and the way you turn it into a long-term deal. Washington was unfair with Kirk Cousins. The Ravens, I believe, would be completely and totally fair with Lamar Jackson. They have no reputation for being dysfunctional when it comes to player contracts. They just don't want to give him a fully guaranteed contract. And that's been the impasse. And to get back to my point from earlier, a good agent would be able to get the absolute best offer on the table and then explain to Lamar, here's door number one, take this deal, here's door number two, and here's what you have to do to get to door number two. Either be a complete jerk and say, I want to be traded, or you got to play through the 2024 season and hope that when you become eligible for free agency and the Ravens don't tag you a third time, you're able to get somebody to give you huge money, given the way you play the game and given the accumulation of bumps and bruises you're going to have between now and that moment in early March of 2025 when someone gives you that fully guaranteed contract. And meanwhile, to make my point even stronger from a minute or two ago, he's got to wait until March of 2025 to get that fully guaranteed contract, to get that long-term deal, and he's got to play year to year until he gets to that point. Like shifting back to Cincinnati for Sunday night too, like what have your impressions been of the Bengals so far through four weeks? Obviously a slow start, but they seem to be kind of finding their rhythm right now in recent weeks. Yeah, look, they – could have beaten the Steelers and they should have beaten the Steelers. And we've seen several games this year where the better team just draws a bunch of bad cards and they lose. We saw it happen to the Bills against the Dolphins. We saw it happen to the Chiefs against the Colts. We saw it happen to the Bengals against the Steelers in in week one. And, you know, the Bengals got surprised by the Cowboys in week two. I think there's a chance the Bengals just thought they'd show up and beat Cooper Rush and company. That Dallas defense better than anyone imagined. And one of the criticisms Chris Sims has of the Bengals offense now with those weapons that they use, they're not being sufficiently creative in their formations. They're not working overtime to divine mismatches. And, you know, he says Jamar Chase has two routes. It's either straight down the field or a slant. You need to find ways to use these guys creatively. And what can happen is when you have really great players, it's a temptation to just say, well, let them go do their thing. You still have to put in the time and the effort to have a very diverse playbook and a diverse game plan. It's almost like a kid playing Madden. You've got those two or three plays that you know are going to work, so you never really try the other stuff. Sometimes if you do that other stuff, you're going to even have a better result because the defense is going to be confused and confounded when you do it. So this actually, if the, if the Bengals play the way they've played the first four games, the Ravens are going to be able to figure out what they're doing and the Bengals may not have a counterpunch for it, and that may make the Ravens' defense in better position for this game. Hey, Mike, I know you guys on Pro Football Talk do power rankings each week. Where do you have both of these teams in your, in your power rankings, both the Ravens and Bengals? That's a great question. I don't remember. That was two <laughs> days ago. The, the, <laughs> I think that I have the Bengals just slightly ahead of the Ravens, and, I, you know, it's funny. People complain about it. Well, hey, you get your chance this weekend. The Ravens are playing the Bengals. I like it when two teams that are playing each other the following week are neck and neck, one and the other in the power rankings. That breaks the tie, and that resolves all doubt as to who should be higher than the other. But 
you know, there's a cluster of two and two teams and there are like maybe eight teams that are above two and two. Well, we, we've been blessed with a very exciting start to the season where there's really no one who's out of it yet. The Texans at 0-3-1, and they haven't been embarrassed by anyone. They could have won every game that they were in. They almost came back and beat the Chargers. And the Eagles at 4-0, and look, they look pretty good, and their schedule was very favorable, and I think that they are going to continue to be very good. But, but even then, it's not like there's a team of destiny. It felt like it was going to be the Bills early on. It really is a jumble, and, and, and I like that. We should all like that. As, as people who are supposed to know what's going on, it's very challenging because any given week I have no idea. But as a fan, it's great because any given week we have no idea. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Like lastly, not to spoil what you're going to have to share on Sunday Night Football, but how do you see this one shaking out? Well, I'll tell you, I like the Ravens to win this one. That five-game losing streak is something that I think stings. It's a point of pride. If you care about winning games in the preseason, as the Ravens clearly do, you have to care about winning games at home in the regular season. And to me, this is one where John Harbaugh finds a way to make a difference. Between John Harbaugh and Zach Taylor, all due respect to Zach Taylor, I'm taking Harbaugh 100 out of 100 times in any competition, in any sporting event, in any type of coaching. Give me John Harbaugh, especially when he feels like his back's against the wall and he's got to emerge with a win. They got embarrassed last year by the Ravens, 41, or the Bengals, excuse me, 41 to 17. That was kind of the moment we realized the Bengals may have something. I think John Harbaugh is going to have something for the Bengals on Sunday night to try to try to win over some doubters and, and to, to shame his defense into doing something more than we've seen it do so far this season. Before you take off, can you tell us about your new book, Playmakers? Well, it's not new. It's seven months old, but you should still buy it. Even though it's not brand new. There will be another new one at some point. But for now, Playmakers is available wherever books are purchased. It's easy to get it on Amazon. You click it real quick. It is a very dangerous thing for me, especially if I've had a couple of adult beverages on a Thursday night watching a game. All sorts of stuff shows up on Saturdays. Like, who ordered this? Oh, wait, I did. 
So if you're in that mode while you're watching a football game and you've had a couple of drinks and you're feeling a little loose in the wallet, Playmakers is $18.79. It's a great hardcover edition. You can put on your coffee table. You can put on your shelf. You can use it as a doorstop. And if you happen to read it, there are over 100 essays in there that taken together tell the history of the NFL over the course of the past 20 years, basically from the time PFT got started, November 1 of 2001, every controversy, every wrinkle, every little crazy thing that's happened, including a chapter that's very Baltimore specific as it relates to the Peyton Manning effort to wear the Johnny Unitas black high tops after Johnny Unitas died in, I think, 2002, and how that all transpired and how that all played out and how that just shows sometimes the NFL makes some stupid decisions. The good decisions, the bad decisions, everything from the past 20 years is in Playmakers. All right. So we appreciate Mike for coming on. That is Playmakers. Not so new book, just seven months old. <laughs> that was hilarious to me. But yeah, check out his book and, and all that coming out. So Bobby, it's very interesting when we do these interviews, they come on as the guest. And so we're just asking questions and there's only, you know, so much debate you kind of want to have going back and forth. But, you know, I, I did want to push back a little bit on on his answers where it was like, well, hasn't Lamar Jackson proven that what his choices have been so far are working out? Because it has. He has made he ha is the, the the market price just keeps going up. The market price just keeps going up. And he has been a great passer. He's been a great passer uh, through four weeks. He wasn't as sharp in the second half of that Bills game as we all know. But, you know, he's been at an MVP level. The passing game is leading. So to me, it's hard to criticize to say, well, it could be even better. I don't I don't know that you know that, you know, he's come back the passing game looks good. So to me, that justifies his point of view. Now, what I will say, this is the one part I will say where I feel like Mike has a point, you know, where I kind of said, well, Lamar waiting has only had the price go up. So that seems to be that, you know, he's made the right choice. And he said, well, sure, except that the money isn't in his bank account yet. So it's like, okay, fair enough. I guess we'll have to wait and see ultimately when the money's in the bank account. I'm still extremely confident that Lamar is going to become the highest paid quarterback whenever it happens. And who knows, maybe it'll be after the season. Maybe as Mike says, it'll have to be after three, three seasons. And he makes a point. I mean, it's a lot of games to be played if the Ravens were to franchise tag him twice. So that's where I do think he had a point, but it's just so funny. I, I, He's like, I'm doing it for the best interest of Lamar. I'm saying it for the best interest of Lamar. It's like, okay, but Lamar's a grown man, you know, and it's fine to like point out your, your opinion. Cause that's what we all do. And, sports talk we have opinions and we give them out and people can disagree with them but I don't know that just always sounds slightly condescending to me where it's like I know better for Lamar than Lamar knows better for Lamar like okay have your opinion have your opinion but at the end of the day you got to let Lamar be Lamar and so far everything Lamar has done not listening to people telling him who he should be and what he should do is working out for him and I respect that about him I think sometimes Mike comes across as like maybe indirectly condescending. He probably doesn't even know it. He's just so intense and he has such a, I mean, his, his background is law, yeah. you know? So like yeah. maybe that's just a part of his personality, this intensity. But, you know, one of the points that I really think is fair that he brought up is the fact that, you know, with Lamar betting on himself and through four weeks of football, certainly you would think winning that bet right on the other, on the right side of that bet. Has the story been written yet with 13 more games to be played at, at 
at this point when we're taping this. Like, I, I think we, we saw how much can change in a given sample size of games in 2021, right? Entering week 11, weren't they atop the entire AFC and the number one seed? And we all know what happened down the second half, whether it was his bone bruise or, or ankle injury or whatever that ended up being for him. And then, you know, ultimately they're falling from a cliff because of injuries and because of what happened down the stretch. So has the story been written yet? He says no. And I tend to agree with him. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. There's still so much more of this story to be told. The 2022 Ravens are nowhere close. We're like in like the beginning chapters, right? We're like 25%, almost 25% of the way through. So it hasn't been, been told yet. And I will say this for Mike. Listen, we have on guests and we're also guests all the time. And I can see why he's risen so far. When you can just have an opinion and express it passionately and just not care and be able to articulate it and have some stuff behind it. I can see why he's, you know, a national, a national analyst. And at the same time, I can see why that, that type of thing rubs people the wrong way. Definitely can rub the people the wrong way. There's times when, you know, it just kind of makes you want to pull your hair out listening to people when they're so confident and so direct and all that kind of stuff. But I guess, you know, you, you got to give him that, that credit that he's just risen up and, and become this, this big time analyst. So, all right, let, real quick, Bobby, we haven't, um, we haven't gotten to our emails in a minute. So we've got three here. We'll do t- uh, two, just some comments. And then one, there was a question. Yeah, Sarah, this first one comes in uh, from Alvaro Silvera. Hopefully I got that, that right. Uh, He said, first of all, I'd like to congratulate both of you for the Ravens Vault podcast. The pump up energy and contagious enthusiasm always reminds me of the right way to attack the day and keep me informed on the Ravens. We love that. That was literally our intention uh, (laughs) when when selecting that that soundtrack. So kudos to you, Sarah, for finding that. But uh, Alvaro says, now, since this is my first email to this podcast, let me introduce myself. He's from Punta del Este, Uruguay. Uh, He's been rooting for the Ravens since 2015. He's been following you, Sarah, since you're late for work days when you work for the team. And your podcast on the Harbaugh family was a really inspiring experience that changed my way of looking at life and work. So that's pretty cool. And uh, he listens to the podcast on YouTube, which is a little plug. We are approaching 1,000 subscriptions on YouTube. If you haven't already done so and you've been enjoying our content, please consider subscribing. It is free. And... uh, he also took a little dig after complimenting you up and down, Sarah. He took a little dig at my voice saying that it sounds weird. Maybe it's a compression artifact. It's time to peel back the curtain a little bit, partner. As you know, we are in our third month of existence. There's been a, a lot of logistical back and forth ups and downs for me, uh, being that I'm operating in different studio spaces, sometimes in my kitchen, sometimes in my back bedroom. So while we get this thing off the ground, just asking for a little bit of patience. And uh, Alvaro, it sounds like you you got the sound thing down. So I might be hitting you up if we got issues moving forward. Yeah. The fact that Alvaro used the term compression artifact, I'm like, this guy probably knows more about audio than we do. So if he can help out with that, that would be great. That would be great. Um, And here's what's funny about this. (laughs) When we first started this, you know, obviously I feel good about both of our Ravens knowledge and football knowledge, but I was like, I'm just not going to sound. Bobby's just got this silky smooth voice. 
He's got that awesome radio voice. I like listening to it. And then here we are three months in and he says, your voice sounds weird. <laughs> like it's just full circle, full circle, full, full circle. And, and, um, I'll just say my one connection to Uruguay, uh, my father actually served a church mission down in Uruguay for two and a half years when he was, I mean, this was so, so long ago. My dad's 80, he turns 86 this month. Uh, and he went when he was at 19 years old. So I've always, you know, wanted to go down there, uh, but he lived there for two and a half years and, you know, still speak Spanish and all that kind of stuff. So uh, glad to get an email from you, Alvaro. Uh, this one's short and sweet from Christopher, Christopher Engel. Sarah and Bobby just joined your podcast and absolutely love it. I will be a daily listener going forward for all things Ravens. Uh, he says... <laughs> I learned about your show while listening to Sarah and Ken on film study. Really enjoy both shows. Really glad I learned about yours. Keep up the great work, Chris. Appreciate that, Chris. And that is awesome. Um, you know, both film study and us, um, we both are in the Blue Wire family. And I've just really appreciated, we've said this before, and specifically a shout out to Ken that, you know, we're two very different podcasts. You know, I do love going on on Ken's. And Ken knows this man. I am so impressed by him digging ridiculously deep. He watches not only every play, but he watches every snap for all offensive linemen and gives them a grade on each play and then, you know, tallies it up. And I like going on his show once in a while, but when I do, it's like, holy moly, this is a lot of work because you are diving deep, 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 deep into film study. I have so much respect for that. And then he does it week in and week out and he does it for both sides of the ball. Oh, it's amazing. So I love that we can compliment each other. You know, we're kind of complimentary uh, Ravens podcast where they really dive deep. And whereas Bobby try to stick, <clears throat> Bobby and I try to stick to uh, the daily kind of news cycle and, and provide analysis. So uh, I was happy to go on that show and I'm glad that, um, you were able to uh, hear about us from there, Christopher. We appreciate that. Yeah, Ken's as thorough as it gets. I went on with him over the summer, and I think there's a big difference between his in-season podcasting and out-of-season. So if I ever get oh, the invite true. back in-season, I'm going to be up late watching <laughs> yeah. film. I'll tell you that. But uh, this uh, this third and final email comes in from Matthew Espinoza. Again, if you want to hit us up too, we'll get to more uh, throughout the course of this season. You can find us at Baltimore Ravens Vault at gmail.com. But Matthew writes, and I want to preface this with, as I look at the subject line and see the, the date and the time that this was sent, that perhaps, I'm just saying, with a one o'clock start last Sunday, Sarah, typically games finish up around four o'clock. Yes. This was sent at 411. Yeah. So let's just keep that in mind, that perhaps this was just slightly an emotional email. I'm just well, going to throw that and, out there. And he says that in the, like he terms that the subject line is overreacting. So I want to give, you know, Matthew is saying that, you know, he could, he, he recognizes that this could be an overreaction, but we're going to talk about it nonetheless. I like his, his, the wherewithal. I, yes. I, I like it. I like the self-awareness there. But anyway, he writes, should the Ravens start thinking about firing Harbaugh? I know a lot of flags didn't go their way this game against the Bills, but this is the second time this year that they have had the ball fourth and go and elected to not get the easy three points and it ended up costing the Ravens the game pretty much. Last year, they lost quite a few games by three or fewer 
And a good amount of those were Harbaugh's decisions to go for two to win instead of kicking for the tie. I like the wanting to win attitude, but sometimes you just need to give your players more time for more opportunities and potential overtime instead of just flat out losing the game. It seems every game, every time he decides to get greedy, it costs the Ravens in the end, Sarah. Uh, okay, well, let me put this out there first. I actually said this in one of the interviews we did this week earlier, uh, not on this show. Um, but I like to put this out there. I feel like journalists sometimes, in the name of trying to be objective, um, will almost search f- for ways to cover up their biases. My approach is different. I like to be honest with my biases and let you take that in with context, in my opinion. Um, and then you can go look for somebody else who doesn't have the same bias as I do. And, and, and so you, you can just put my opinion on Harbaugh, put it in that bucket if you want. If you want to say I'm biased, I think that's fair. I, I worked at the Ravens for 13 years. I did a podcast, a nine-episode podcast on John Harbaugh and his family. And I really like John Harbaugh. I like him a lot. So if you feel like that clouds my judgment in having a clear view of whether or not he should be fired, that's your prerogative. If you, however, think that I can separate the two, then, then, which I think I can, uh, but if you don't, that's okay. So, so I just wanted to put that, that I think journalists and analysts should just put their biases up front and then you can put it in context. I'm not going to try to hide that. Okay. And if you feel like I do a good job of separating the two, fine. If you don't, then you don't. I do not think that John Harbaugh should be fired. We have said on the show several times, I last week did not agree with going for it on fourth and two. Generally speaking, and I've said this many times before, I am like Mark Andrews when Mark Andrews answered it. And he's like, I'm a dog. John Harbaugh is too. And we're going to go for it. I love that aggressiveness. People are accusing him of not trusting the defense. Uh, I like to look at it as he didn't trust them more in that moment. And I agree with that. I like, I would have taken the points, but full well knowing that I have little confidence that the defense was still going to close it out with a three point lead. Um, I just had little confidence in that. It was just to me, the reason why I would have taken the points is because the offense had been struggling in the second half of that game and they had been pushed back trying to run up the middle on the play prior. Um, I also feel like it it just, to me, my gut told me the offense wasn't going to get it. And so I thought it was better to take the three even though I felt like I still had a realistic view of the 32nd ranked pass defense. And as good as they were playing in the first half, the defense lost its way in that, in that second half and, and was kind of, kind of going off. But so anyway, so I disagree with the choice. I don't think it was a crazy choice though, given what the defense had been doing. It's, it's interesting to me. I look at John Harbaugh and I see a hall of fame coach. And that doesn't mean, you know, that he's perfect, far from it. But I see a man who has created a culture that um, players completely buy into. That doesn't mean that everybody has. I know that there's examples out there of the Bernard Pollards of the world. And we'll still see what happens with Peters. I don't know if Peters was upset in the moment or if this lingers. We talked about that at length in one of our episodes. Um, but but he he has the locker room. 
And even prior to this, Peters was like, I hope to, I hope to retire here. He said, Baltimore playing for the Ravens has brought my joy back, you know, and there's been endless people who say that. And, and, but at the same time, people say, well, they've come up short. I can hear people right now. Well, how many playoff wins has, has, has Harbaugh gotten since, since Ray Lewis and Ed Reed have left and yeah, newsflash. Like when you have hall of fame players, it makes you look like a better coach. And when you don't, it makes you look like a worse coach. We can see that with Bill Belichick right now. But, but I think that Harbaugh is still uh, a top five coach. Um, I don't think he's become stale yet. I, I I think that if it got to that point, then maybe we would, it would be time to, to move on. But the way Marlon talks about him, the way other players talk about him, the way Peters has talked about him and this organization prior to this incident, it's just always been, you know, that they love that Harbaugh says, you be yourself, you be yourself. And, and, and we're going to bring that in here and we're going to maximize, you know, who you are to, to the greatest potential. So, you know, and I, it's just, I just think it, it becomes, you get so frustrated and I get it. You become so frustrated. The Ravens haven't been great on fourth down and you know, you kind of want to become more conservative and I, and I get that, but does that mean you throw the rest out for some people? Yes. For me, no. And I think, a, a, a an example of that is with Wink Martindale, Wink Martindale, you know, some people were calling for him to be let go. And Wink Martindale is a great defensive coordinator, but he's nowhere near the standard of a defensive coordinator that Harbaugh is as a head coach. And the Ravens did move on from him and brought in Mike McDonald. And the defense overall is ranked number 30 and number two in 32 pass defense. And so, uh, and you're not even trying to replace as high of a standard at defensive coordinator that John Harbaugh has, has set, um, has set as a head coach. And you know what? If if the playoffs don't turn around and and they continue to not win in the playoffs, then, you know, people have a valid point. But I'm certainly not saying in week four, based off of that fourth down decision, when he put the ball in his MVP's hands and the play was open, um, there was a play there were players open. You know, some protection broke down and there was an opportunity, but it wasn't the easiest, you know, position to be put in. I don't hate John Harbaugh for believing in in, in Lamar Jackson. I, I don't think he should be fired over that. Um, now, I do wish that he, you know, I don't know. I wish that he agreed with me, but he didn't. And I still don't know that that would have won the game. So, no, I do not think that we should fire or that the Ravens should fire John Harbaugh. What about you, Bobby? Matthew, wherever you are, Matthew. You just, bravo, man. You just had, you just got a monologue for the ages for my partner. That was as thorough as I've ever heard her. Where <laughs> is he right now? That was big time. I don't know. Matthew doesn't say where he's from. I don't know, but I do. Pre- he's not alone. I will do that. I don't want to make him feel like he's like, you know, alone in his feelings. I've definitely heard a lot of that on Twitter this week. So I'll just say that I'll just wrap it up with this because you were super thorough and I don't think an, a, a ton needs to be added on, but since John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson have become a head coach quarterback partnership, they are 39 and 14 as a regular season tandem. Uh, to your point, have they underwhelmed in the playoffs so far in, in, in a small sample size? Yes, but ask Peyton Manning how his 
career began in postseason action. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. I think the way that he's built this organization, the way that he has evolved as a head coach, and the way in which he and Greg Roman and Steve Bashotti and this the, the architects of this organization, of course, Eric DaCosta being in that group, have all in, are all in on building around Lamar Jackson. John Harbaugh deserves to see that through. And it requires a little bit of patience, unfortunately. There's definitely been some hiccups. But the bottom line is, truly, they're just a couple plays away from being 4-0. And this certainly, certainly would be nowhere near the top of the priority list in terms of conversations on this podcast, if that were the case. So I'll just leave it with that. So with that, we appreciate you, as always, for uh, listening here on the Ravens Vault. We appreciate our featured guest on this episode, Mike Florio. Go check out his book. It's not new, contrary to popular belief. But thanks to Mike Florio for coming on. We give him a hard time, and the Ravens Nation gives him a hard time. But he is uh, super accomplished and as plugged in as anyone, aside from the insiders, as he said earlier on in the episode. But Nonetheless, for my partner and co-host, Sarah Ellison, I'm Bobby Trossett signing off from this episode here on The Vault. You will next hear from us after the game. And remember, it's prime time. So kickoff is set for 820. Realistically, we will probably not have our instant reaction episode up until the wee hours of the morning. So be on the lookout. Uh, maybe you're on a different time zone. It'll work out well. We got we know a lot of folks are, uh, are global here on The Vault. But for all of you on the eastern time zone, let's say, be ready for a, a commute time, hour-long instant reaction episode coming up on Monday morning. So we'll talk to you then. Appreciate you.